Welcome. You are listening to Bookalicious, not just any book podcast. I'm Paul Jarrett, together with Gwyn, Lara and Holly. Join us on a journey exploring the world of books and words. Be inspired. Get new reading ideas, sometimes serious, but always fun. Bookalicious is a podcast to open your mind. Well, hello and welcome to the 11th episode of Bookalicious. Hey, well, I, who thought we'd get this far? Nearly a year, nearly a year. So, oh, wow. yeah, yeah, I know. Isn't it amazing? Anyway, I'm still Paul Jarrett uh, and I'm still doing this. And uh, tonight, Holly, it's just you and me, isn't it? Hello, Holly. Hello, Paul. I'm also still here. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. you've been here from the beginning. You've done a whole year of this. Wow. Oh yeah, you that's yeah. scary. That's gone very fast. But um yeah. it's been very it's been very fun. It has, isn't it? It's been great. Um uh, and, and um the next two episodes we're gonna be doing uh, I'm calling this episode Poetry in Motion. Do you like that? As, you know that's nice. uh, there will be a playlist on Spotify. Um if you go to uh, Spotify and put in Bookalicious, you'll be able to pick up previous playlists, which are all collaborative by the way. So if you think Oh, I know a good song that goes along with this poetry theme, then you can go and add infinitum. We don't mind. I don't mind. Um, but anyway, poetry in motion, because we are diving in to poetry. Um, and do you know what? I started this talking about this, I think only, <laughs> only in the last episode, and it has grown like topsy. Um, <laughs> so I've got two excellent poets uh one I've interviewed, another one I'm going to interview is going to turn into two episodes. Isn't that a thing of beauty? Two whole episodes about poetry. Oh, sounds brilliant. Yeah, well, although I expect some listeners will go, mm, poetry, <laughs> not my thing. Um, but uh, we'll be talking about why we love poetry or possibly why we have loved, learned to love poetry. Maybe in my <laughs> case, that's, the, that's true. Um, uh, especially with our poets, I'm going to talk to them about um, the creation of poetry, where the ideas come from, how they put them on a piece of paper, and then Holly and I are going to share some of the poets and poems um, that we have come across in the last, well, in, in our lifetime. Shall we say that combined lifetime? About yeah, eight, I mean, mine is more like the, the past month. But your, yeah, lifetime seems cooler than that. Oh, so. you just spoiled my link there saying that between us, we've probably got over 80 years worth of experience. Oh, I take it, but I've been, I, these poems, since I was younger, I've been reading these. So, oh, okay, that's yeah. fair enough. That's fair yeah, enough. Yeah. Anyway, so, right. So in this episode, um, we're going to do our usual little chat about what we're uh, reading or have read uh, recently. And... And we're going to dive into an interview with my friend, uh, poet and writer Liz Lafroy. And after that, uh, the doors are open for us to chuck in the odd poem and the poet and why we like them. But it's going to be real quick fire stuff. It's a bit it's going to be like poetry speed dating this. All right. OK. Oh God, okay. Uh, yeah. So hold on to your hats and then <laughs> we'll do it all again. Hopefully for the next episode towards the end of this next month, um, and uh, I'll have 
Lara in the driving seat and she can chuck poets at me as well. She might even do some of her own. That'd be fun. She's done That'd that be cool. before. Yeah. So here we go. Um, now I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll start with um, what I've been reading. Uh, I seem to be reading a lot. If you look at my Goodreads, I've got about six books on the go at the moment. And it, uh, one of which is Middlemarch. I need to mention Middlemarch. Readathon is still going. Go to www.bookalicious.com and you can pick up on the blog there. It's, and uh, it's not an excuse not to read Middlemarch because I'm actually really loving that. I think we might have to do a whole episode just on Middlemarch. Uh, it's like diving into a soap opera that you left last week and you and that actually it's not fair to George Eliot well you know it's nice it's like a lovely warm bath and I go back to the next book and read it and then I do a bit of the, the blog and I don't want it to end I, I kind <laughs> of enjoying doing it um, a little bit at a time but um, yeah so that's Middlemarch but what I'm really doing and you'll like this Holly you'll love this mm. I've been thrust back into ancient history. Um, nice. So my first one is not so ancient history, but a history that none of us get in school. I don't know if you got any of this in school or not, um, but the Anglo-Saxons? No? Oh, no, I don't. Ooh, I, I don't remember any anything past like a year ago in terms of what I learned <laughs> history, apart from 1066. But yeah, I, I don't remember going in depth about it. I, I bet you did the Celts. I bet you did the Celts as you went to oh, Welsh what? school, but um, yeah. So, but I, I definitely didn't get Anglo-Saxons, and in fact, um, everything from like 400 AD to 1066 was you referred to as the Dark Ages. It still is to, by some people now. I think that's changing, but I picked up this book in Waterstones because it just is a beautiful book. Like, got that Anglo-Saxon kind of design cover. Um, called the Anglo-Saxons, a history of the beginnings of England, 400 to 1066 by Mark Morris. And it's partly me thinking ahead to the show I'm promising to be an Anglo-Saxon Viking playoff, which is also got legs and moving. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's getting a bit big, actually. So that might be a month or two in, in development, but it will be worth waiting for. But anyway... Uh, I love the book because it's re well researched and the nice thing about it is it, uh, not all well researched books read well do they mm, um, yeah. and I have to say it reads like historical fiction and I'm, I'm, I'm not making this up because you can't make up some of the stuff about the Anglo-Saxons. I'm going to give you a brief glimpse. All right, get this, Holly. Prepare okay. yourselves. This is just one little tiny glimpse into the world of the Anglo-Saxon kings of Wessex. Happens to be uh, King Alfred the Great's father. I think I've got that right. Yeah, anyway. Most of them are all called Ethel something, aren't they? Um, <laughs> but anyway, Ethelwolf. Ethelwolf, great name. We're, we, we, we should get a movement of people bringing... Uh, Anglo-Saxon names, male and female names, back in, don't you think? Uh, anyway, yeah, I'm so much cooler. Yeah, like, don't, uh, don't you think if you're called Ethelwolf, you'd feel strong and you know, ooh, anyway, whatever. Um, so um, anyway, Ethelwolf, right? He was he was the first one really to say, "I'm king of Wessex," which is kind of a big block of southern England, and uh, because he was a very devout uh, Christian. Um, and trying to prove he wasn't anything to do with those pagans 
that used to came over uh, the Vikings and then previously Anglo-Saxons. Uh, he trundled off to Rome, as you do, yeah, to prove his great Christian credentials. Got stuck in Rome for a bit. His wife died, I believed. And on the way back, 50-year-old king, all right, guess what he does? See if you can guess. Come on, Holly, see if you can guess what, what Ethelwolf, wife has just died, 50 years old, making his way back to England. What do you think? No, you can't. Mm. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm thinking a simple affair, but then it, can it really be an affair if the wife is dead? It's, um, no, no, it's, mm. it's worse than that. <laughs> he marries, oh, no. he marries mm. um, a, a, a girl who I think is the daughter, princess daughter of someone like Charles the Bold, one of the Frankish kings. Guess how old she was. Oh, no. Um, oh, I think I'm going to I'm going to lowball it if that's the term. Yeah, go, Six, go. Se seven. Oh, no, oh my god. So you said it was bad. So, um, you made him 10 times worse than he really was. She was 12, all right? Oh, that's that's still bad. Um, still bad. Yeah, still bad. It gets worse, all right? So he gets back to England and he's left his uh, son Ethel Bald. Ethel Bald, not such a strong name, I think. That's unfortunate. Um, <laughs> in charge of uh, of Britain, and um, and he's kind of taken over um, being king of Wessex. Doesn't really like his dad coming back, and then his dad uh, kind of dies. Sort of doesn't really. <laughs> he hasn't got enough fight left in him. Uh, what do you think Ethel Bald did then? Oh, does he, mar does he marry the 12-year-old? He marries. Well, no, she's 14 by this stage. Oh, oh well, there you go. Um, <laughs> and even, even some of the pagan uh, Vikings uh, and historians said afterwards, even we wouldn't do that. Marry. <laughs> you know it's bad. It's yeah. bad, isn't it? And, and this guy is the brother of Alfred the Great, which most people, if they talk about Anglo-Saxons, will have heard. I mean, that's just one snippet. I mean, I mean, it's grim, but I mean, wow. You couldn't make it up, could you? Um, mm. The other thing I love about it, because you've got Offers Dyke, What's Dyke, all that stuff about, um, and I'm never quite sure anyone's ever going to truly say that's exactly what that was built for. But this, it's just brilliant. Uh, I thoroughly recommend it. Um, and I'm going to just uh, chuck in one other book as I then go and let the stage further back in history. You'll like this one. Um, this is by Peter Jones called uh, Veni. I, I don't know. Is it Veni Vidi Viki, isn't it, in Latin? I think that's right. I, we used to say Vini Vidi Vici, but I'm sure that's wrong. That's what Julius Cedis meant to have said. You're asking uh, the wrong person about Latin, but that sounds I right. I thought you do classics, don't you? I do classics, but no, um, I don't do Latin. I oh, wish I did, okay. but um, I can I can barely do like a Welsh or French accent. I don't want to try butcher another language. Um, I'm staying away. Oh, God, but... this is turning into a confessional. This is a podcast, Holly. You don't have to. Sorry. Sorry. Um, anyway, it's a so um, the subtitle is even better than uh, uh, the Latin. Uh, it is everything you wanted to know about the Romans, but were afraid to ask. I couldn't <laughs> resist leaving that in Waterstones either, and it's perfect for me getting my head around all of the uh the the, the kind well roman history from yeah. romulus and remus if they ever existed all the way through to when the goths and the visigoths descended uh in 
well again that's controversial isn't it and he does it in little timeline sections for each bit and then um between each section he chucks in stuff about particular characters or a particular emperor some of the culture um and little bits of tittle tattle um which are nearly as good as ethelwolf uh in fact you know roman emperors couldn't make them up could you some of them i mean oh, yeah. cool. No. Um, my favorite is um the the story of Julius Julius Caesar um I can't remember exactly but you know he gets kidnapped by pirates and then <laughs> um they try and like ransom him and he's like no up it and then yeah. he makes friends with them and then um later gets them all killed and it's it's I can't believe it's real but I that's oh, I'm sure it is yeah. I, I'm sure I, yeah I'm sure, I'm it is, but... sure it is yeah yeah but, definitely um... my favorite Roman story I think that one yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. and then you've got Nero and uh, Caligula and you know the rest of them um, so uh, yeah loving that um, so that uh, is uh, Veni Vidi Vicky by uh, Peter Jones I apologise to Latin scholars not if you're listening um, so come on then Holly what what have you uh, not been reading because you uh, have got excuses um... haven't you yeah, I have. Really. I have got excuses. I've mostly been reading poetry, and um, so that's one of my excuses. But the things I have been reading actually link quite well to yours. Um, I just sitting there Brilliant. thinking. Um, I've probably. I don't know if I've mentioned this on here before because I started reading it, then I stopped, and I'm reading it again. It's um, a fatal thing that happened on the way to the forum, um, and it's about murder in ancient Rome. Um, and I saw it in Watson's quite a while ago, and I just thought that title is so long. Um, but I really liked it, and I thought the murder was um, because it makes a good point when um you know it, a lot of murder happened in ancient rome and very like key key murders um that's that's just a known fact i don't know i clearly don't remember much about the book but i'm really i'm really enjoying it because i don't read a lot of um like non-fiction mm. um so yeah i feel very smart reading that even though Jeez. i retain any of it um and then i'm off this is a bit of a stretch and a link with yours but like you're talking about Athelwolf, I'm reading Steppenwolf at the moment i'm not very far oh, in oh god i um, love how you did that thank you um <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I'm like it's. It's strange, but um, I'm really into it just from the the introduction part. When it's not, it's not done from the perspective of Steppenwolf. It's someone like watching him. I haven't read it in a week, and already it's it's gone up. It's really good. I'm really liking it though. Um, but yeah, that's that's quite interesting. Yeah, I'm, it's, it's I'm, a good I'm book. About that. Yeah, it's really, short, but lots in it. Yeah, isn't that's there? that's why I chose it. Um, but I've also on on the theme of short books, a little segue. Um, I've been reading um a lot of like say a lot well max porter um i've oh, read yeah. brief brief thing with feathers which i thought ties quite nicely into a poetry theme especially on like i think there's only one version of the book i could be wrong but on like page 96 the boy's heading is reads it looks quite quite like just a, po a poem yeah. um which and it's so it's so good um and i've it also is. got i've just started reading the death of francis bacon by him as well um and i like that because i just um i was given it um as a present so thank you joe if you're listening for that um but i'm at first i was like oh what's this um, and it's been really fun to to read it slowly um because i'm not sure what each of the art pieces it's talking about is but i just go and google francis bacon each time and look through his art and it's i really am i'm liking digesting that in a much slower pace than i usually do um which is it's been quite nice it's been quite a relaxed way of reading yeah. um but yeah grief is a thing with feathers i i love it so much it's, it's um, a yeah. work of genius um we did it oh. for book group um oh uh, about uh, about a year ago i think 
Oh, um, I know. I know. I know you did uh, because um, yeah. I've been doing my Welsh back project on Welsh literature, and yeah. I've referenced your book group. And I wow. looked it up online, and I found a link to it to reference it as an official source. There is you the Facebook go. link to that? An and official it was, source. It was yeah, That's the first I, time I was, I've been referenced as an official source ever. I was struggling on that that um, that project, um, <laughs> but no, I'm, I remember seeing it, as, and I was like, "Oh wow, you guys read it all that time ago." But, um, well, yeah. it, it, it totally divided the uh, the book group, and we read Lanny, Ooh. which I do recommend to you as well. Um, yeah. uh, off the wall, as much as a, a grief is a thing with feathers in a in a different way, um, mm. but it completely split. Some people just hated it, absolutely hated it. Um, and other people, it's it's a marmite. They're marmite uh, books. He's a marmite author, yeah. but I just love I can it. see why. Yeah. But um, it feels oh, it just it feels so like raw. Like, the fact that it's so almost like graphic in certain yeah. places. But, do you know what Ooh, I love? I love most about it. It's the crow. You know <laughs> the thing that keeps going stab stab stab. You know. Yeah. And he's 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 real. He's he is a crow. He just is, isn't he? It just you watch crows. Yeah um jumping around uh pecking things and it uh, he just captures it it's, it's genius anyway yeah isn't it, um, isn't it a play on um oh because i remember i think is it a dickinson poem the titles off like hope hope is a thing with feathers is that is that dickinson is that what the title's referencing i don't know i don't i could I never um, look that up Might i could be. be i could be wrong about that it could be another poet like a female poet that i've read but i know i've, I've been reading some like dickinson poetry and I could again. I don't trust my myself as a source on this, but um, I remember reading it and thinking, "Oh, the fact yeah. that it was originally hope, kind of. Oh, I don't know. It makes it more interesting." Tell you um, what, we'll 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 look it up, and I can always stick it in the show notes. We'll we'll look it up. We need no. to do that. Look, um, that's oh, isn't that good? How you'd almost think that we planned and researched this show uh, to the nth degree before we come on air, wouldn't you? But that's getting better at um, improving. I think we're just getting more aligned. So I think it's fitting on. together beautifully. So uh, uh, time, I think, to um, move on to um, this uh, this month's interview with Liz Lafroy, and um, well, you've got a treat in store here. I I did send her two or three questions uh, about poetry and um, how she writes and it turned into something much more than that we talk about music a lot but uh, so just so you know uh, Liz is a winner of prizes oh yes she won the Roy Fisher pamphlet prize in 2011 and she's the winner of the cafe writers prize in 2016 and uh, she was a runner-up in the 2017 wigton poetry competition and uh, going to wigton in next week in scotland yes the book town of scotland um 20 just saying um 2019 wolverhampton literary festival competition she came third and her latest collection is called uh, great master small boy um, this is also a regular blogger uh, at someone's mum says or one word dot blogspot dot com. Um, you can find lots more about Liz on uh, Liz Lafroy. So that's uh, Liz L I Z L E F R O Y dot wix w i x dot com, and um, you find all sorts of things there, including her blog. And uh, I will put all of that in the show notes. But for now, uh, here uh, Liz and I talking about all things poetic and poetry. 
I am absolutely delighted today to uh, have uh, Liz Lafroy with me. Hello, Liz. Hello, Paul. Good now, to see you. Liz and I have known each other for, well, probably longer than we care to remember. Um, we used to work in the same institution. Um, and very occasionally, Liz, you and I would have this idea um, over coffee about why don't we get these poets on board? Uh, to the point, I believe, we got to uh, me or you saying, if we talk about doing another poetry event, shoot me. Didn't we say <laughs> yes. that? We did say that, yes, because we did some very successful events, didn't we, Paul? We, we did. We, you know, Gillian Clark, Caroline Duffy uh, and others. And um, Macmillan. Yeah, absolutely. So yes. they they were great. But we we aimed high. We aimed well top with Caroline Duffy. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, they, it was it was always great fun afterwards because of all the anxiety of putting on an event and thinking, will anybody turn up? Oh, they will all... the trains be on time? All that sort. Of... They turned up and and it was fun, but. Yeah, we, we, but um, the reason you're here today is you are a poet in your own right. And um, as Bookalicious is having a whole episode around poetry, what better than talking to a real poet? So um, thank you. Yeah, um, you, we, we'll talk about your work, but you have a published volume currently, Great Master Small Boy. And um, I, you, you've had collection published before that a while ago didn't you i did um it's actually quite a long time a gap between mending the ordinary That's and it. great master small boy uh i'm going to say mm, i don't know about you paul but i've slightly lost track of time these days. yeah it's well that's five fair. years yeah. gap yeah. which is quite a long time um and that's not because I think, I think I went down a few avenues that didn't quite bear fruit. And then during the pandemic, I had an opportunity really to consolidate my work and look right. back over what I'd been writing in those five years and think, what do I really want to, to be out there? Um, yeah, so yeah. that came out last June. In fact, on my son's 21st birthday, because the theme of the book is around my son who's a mu musician and his obsession with Beethoven. Yeah. So, and the other prompt for that was that Beethoven had a 250th anniversary in 2020. He did, spoilt by That's the pandemic. Really spoiled, all the events all over, not just Europe, but the world being canceled. It's like the big, a big birthday party I mean, can you imagine the tantrum that he would have thrown? Oh, if... he would he would have thrown all his toys out of the pram Absolutely. and smashed the piano. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I have to say, I wouldn't blame him because they, they'd been preparing for years, these events, as so many other things that were yeah. cancelled. But it made me think I must get these poems out there because, you know, not that not in any sense of consolation for the cancelled party but just at least a marker yeah. a marker of that event so yeah I, I well this it leads me on to really asking you about the whole we'll, we'll talk about poetry and the creative process in a broader terms but uh, 
um, I kind of ask this of all authors that I talk to, um, and the pandemic, you've just said, well, really, it's an opportunity to consolidate, but you've, it, I, I suspect you found it hard to concentrate and sit down and actually write. Yeah. Well, yes, because I mean, there are a number of factors going into that, and at different phases of the pandemic, there were different reasons for finding it difficult to write. One of them was simply being so very, very busy. Mm. So my job became more difficult and I had to do lots of problem solving. So I'm a lecturer. So everything about moving to online teaching and then sort because it's a professional course, mm. it was just one long problem solving. And I, I came to a conclusion after three or four months that I was using a lot of my creative energy in problem solving because yeah. those things are very closely linked. So imagining how could this course that used to be entirely physical become online is a work of creativity and imagination. And I think that sidelined my poetry. I did write a few things early on um, and then a very, perhaps the longest period for 15 years in which mm. I didn't really write much at all. I also think I was emotionally a bit putting things on hold because mm. the uncertainties and the, I think, some low-level anxiety that yeah. a lot of us were feeling. Um, I don't know just, about you, but if you've experienced any bereavement in the past few years, I'm, mm. I don't know. But I, I experienced a couple of significant bereavements as well. Mm. And whilst we think poets are always writing about death, actually... <laughs> Yes, <laughs> we write about it at some remove or perhaps yeah. in a more not always in a mo more immediate response to bereavement. So in, in nor normal times, yeah. let's just say generally, let's say not say normal times because I don't think that, that we ever have normal times. But uh, as far as the creative process for you goes, I mean, you you you, you mainly write, write. I mean, you do a blog, which obviously is is prose. Um, but I, I guess is a different process to poetry. How, how does um, your creative process work? You know, do you have an idea and you start sitting down, write a few words and, and think about it for 15 years and then, oh, there it is. <laughs> um, I couldn't write you a flow chart. To no, no, I wasn't that wanting happens. that. You're right. <laughs> no, good, good, good. Because it does happen differently with different poems and I so sometimes it comes out of an emotional prompt so something's unsettled me and I think well a good way to resolve that would be mm. to have a go at writing about it um and then other times it comes from the words themselves so a phrase will come into my head and then it has a kind of music to it that suggests what might come afterwards um but the actual process in <laughs> this is the bit i'm actually talking to myself now as much it's all right you're, you're talking this, to me the really but... <laughs> process involves getting out a pen and a piece of paper fundamentally it's the action of writing that is the process okay thinking yeah important prompting emotion felt recollected in tranquility and all that yes but it's actually writing it down sifting through and i i write still 
a pen to paper yeah. in a notebook, usually not in black or blue ink, usually green or red or something. Oh, really? Oh, uh, how specific. Well, just kind of weirdly, the colour of the ink seems to matter at some level about in relation to, I suppose, maybe it link, I haven't really thought this through, but maybe it links back to work and school writing mm. always being in black or you couldn't you weren't allowed to write in green or red <laughs> so maybe it's something to do with um the freedom of poetry which i think is maybe um it you can um put it in that creative box that isn't work um, yes because you, know, you know you write yeah. a lot for work i know probably on a computer but it, it, it yeah it tends to be black and white doesn't yeah, it and the blog yeah. is straight on the computer i never write that long oh that's out. interesting so yeah, pro prose wise you you know writing on the computer isn't yeah. a, an issue but the um what what i what, pick you off on one thing that you said there about the creative process as it comes to you like like music because i'm you know yes. I'm, I'm um music has been my huge comfort um during the pandemic and actually being able to come out and perform with others you know in a choir and mm. um what a joy that's been the last few months mm. but uh so but i'm really interested in that you 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 it, it is almost like music coming into your head i'm sure we'll talk about beethoven in a minute but uh yeah, and I've and that's strange because my son, who's now a composer, I can't imagine how he thinks of lines of oh, music, right. mm. but I suspect it's a similar process. Um, so, a phrase will come into my head, and it's very very banal to say, but I think, oh, I like the sound of that, mm. and of course, it has to have a meaning. Mm. Um, but not the meaning doesn't necessarily have to be the key thing for that phrase. It can have it can allude to a meaning that then becomes clearer. But I think if there's no musicality at all, in, and by musicality I mean the same things you'd say in a line of music. So beat. So that in poetry you call that stress, and perhaps mm -hmm. the most famous is the iambic pentameter, which is dum dee dum dee you know, five yeah, dum yeah. Um, So it's like a bar of music has stressed, so quavers and crotchets, mm. different length notes, different pitches up and down, cadence at the end, usually often a cadence resolves itself downwards, doesn't it? So, mm -hmm. um, so those things are present and and so just as when you get a line of music that is a tune that you think, oh, that's pleasing to the ear, mm. the way that that um, doesn't all stay on the same note, but it goes up and down. Like there uh, aren't many tunes where there's only one pitch. <laughs> I think John Cage had a go. I mean, da 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 da. <laughs> Yeah. but to, at least even there you've got two pitches haven't you and you've got rhythm and it's, yes. a, it's not that it's not that different and and i guess so you you get that initial theme but obviously like a composer you can go away and and do variations and and bend yeah. it yeah yeah and yeah. and i totally 
am a poet of making meaning and sense. I'm not an experimental, just sort of putting down sounds okay. or making up new words. Not yet. I mean, maybe I've got my experimental phase still to come. Yeah, blank pages with the odd letter on. I can exactly. see that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, so okay. So when 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 you um you know when you got your your red and green pens out and you're <laughs> you're writing them down, um, do, do you feel that it's important for the future reader to be able to pick up on on the meaning or? Uh, I mean, as a reader of poetry, I, I usually start by letting it just wash over me. And mm. if it doesn't have a meaning, I'm not that bothered. But does it bother you? Is that, Are you aiming for that to be, um, the, the theme at least, to be really clear? That's a really good and quite difficult question. I thought it would be. I didn't say it'd be easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, first of all, it's quite pleasing to hear you say, as a reader that you're mm. okay with the poem washing over mm. you certainly first reading um i might not be quite as tolerant as you actually as a reader i do like to know what's going on in a poem enough for okay. it to hold my attention i suppose from i think there are probably several levels going on with any i, I like to think that with my poems there's the kind of in the immediacy of something that can be understood, whether that's a story. Mm. Um, so I wrote a poem called In the Queue in the Waitrose Cafe, I Meet My Love. And that is about going and queuing up for a coffee and chatting to an older guy yeah. who's in front of me in the queue and having that moment of connection that I just wanted to record that. Yeah. So at one level, it's just a very, very straightforward story about two people in a queue but then under that there's lots of stuff around I suppose human connection what mm. is it that sparks that love um you know what it's nature this guy goes off and sits with his I presume she was his wife at the end of the poem and they sit there in silence. So I, I just say they sit there in silence effectively. But by the time you get to that point, you're thinking, what does that silence mean? Mm. And and I don't tell you, the aim is not me to tell you. And that silence means their marriage wasn't in very good shape <laughs> or, or they're silent because they're so comfortable with each other, they don't have to speak. You know, it could be either of those things or it could be neither. And so the reader brings their own, meaning to that so what you're saying really is show don't tell that's what i'm saying yeah and, and it, you know yeah. what paul it's actually harder to do than you'd think well i, I believe me i i totally get that because me <laughs> i've got a pencil in my hand now me and writing well over the years you know what that's been like um I, i'll tell you about it another day but yeah i i but but it, do you think it's harder because it really poetry is such a condensed form, isn't it? You know, it's it's a it's a real distillation. Some people, mm. you, you write a poem about being in the queue at the Waitrose Cafe, that could be the whole theme of a two hundred page novel for someone. Do you really think so? Oh, I have read 
<laughs> tried to read books that exactly. uh, have probably less than that in don't you don't okay so i think as a plot queuing for a coffee is quite thin <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're a poet <laughs> i'm not sure a novel would sustain it okay so then you'd have to introduce You'd have to make a sort of love story out of it. Yeah. There'd have to be yeah. a divorce. Yeah, yeah. There'd have to be, you know, there'd have to be yeah. a sort of... Whereas I think that I like writing poetry because you can just have a tiny incident. Okay. And look at it in a... And these are this is what our lives are made up of. It's what my life's made up of. Maybe, maybe other people have more exciting lives than I do. <laughs> I, you know, it's like when a poet writes about the way the sunlight falls on a leaf or something and yeah. illuminates it, like, or in R.S. Thomas's case, the field, a bright field, the sun shaft coming onto a field, which leads him to talk about, allude to a biblical story that mm. then enables the reader who knows about that story to think about that story and for the reader who doesn't know about that story to think about something else. But it's these these moments of oh, am I allowed to say transcendence in the yes, everyday? no, absolutely allowed to say transcendence because okay, yeah, that fits in with the whole thing you said about music because I think in in the end, both art forms uh, sounds pretentious saying art form, but both forms actually. Um, you know, you can't have transcendence all of the time, but both lead to some sort of. It, it changes your life in some it way does. just even reading a short poem sometimes can just be a little little light bulb coming on and even if yeah. it might go out later it's it, that's transcendence you know i think i think my job as a poet and you, you're asking about am i wondering what the reader's going to think well hmm. of, yes at one level but then no at another because um, this is going to sound like a massively narcissistic thing to say which is probably is but I'm my, I am my first reader, if you of like. Course. So by the time I get to the end of writing something, I can often read it back and say, flipping out, I can't believe I wrote that. <laughs> How did I do it? Or especially if I leave it a few weeks and I go back to it and I just think, I needed to write that and I needed to read it. Mm. Whether anybody else does, I mean, I'm, you know, I have an ego. I like people to read my poems mm. and say they're nice mm. or whatever or helpful or illuminating. But if nobody ever does, which of course happens to the majority of what I write, because I'm a poet, mm. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> even yeah. if it's in a book, maybe what, 100 people are going to buy and read that? 200, 300 max, unless you're a famous poet. Then actually that's not the point. Mm. And you never make any money out of it, really. So the point has to be what in another paradigm one might call something like a groping towards self-actualization or wow. <laughs> just yeah. trying to make sense of one's own life. Yeah. Make it more, at times, it's simply to make it more bearable. Wow. Know, the, yeah. the difficult stuff. So, So it's a kind of it is a call to other people and it is a desire for connectedness and i do want to be understood yeah but first and foremost i want to i want to understand myself <laughs> <laughs> because frankly yeah. 
It ain't uh, an easy job. It isn't for any of us. Uh, let, let, let's hear um, some of your poetry now, um, Liz. So w what have you got to share with us? Well, talking about poetry and music, this is uh, this new pamphlet, relatively new, came out last year. It's not just poetry as music, but poetry about music. And there's a poem in this about my son Jonty's first piano lesson. So the pamphlet's dedicated to Jonty because it was he and he who kind of got obsessed with Beethoven in his teenage years to the extent that he had an Andy Warhol poster of Beethoven on his bedroom wall wow. and so on. But it all kind of started with this piano lesson and I expect quite a few people have been in that situation either themselves or with their kids where they've gone little tiny children gone sat this great big piano and then they have to find middle C with their thumb and that's the sort of, it may have a red sticker on it or something like that to show so this is about that first lesson and it's called 4-4 halfway through your first piano lesson you placed your right thumb on middle C and up the scale like a shot you went for the next 11 years. As your mother, I exaggerate, must say, you took to it straight off, handling plump crotchets four to the bar as if born with this pulse. You understood the maths of it, how four goes into four to make the whole fraction of common time a signature for childhood. One afternoon we saw a swan unlock his wings in simple beats. Whomp, 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 whomp. He took to the skies. Mm. I spent a long time trying to work out what the sound a swan's wing makes as it goes up. Sounds that that, like. that, that, that uh, was exactly the sound of the swan. So wings. "wump" was the was the answer. But um, <laughs> but now, whenever I see swans, I think, "Is that? Did I get that right?" Because <laughs> <laughs> I live in Shrewsbury by the Severn, where there are lots of swans. So, but um, going to so the the book sort of alternates between Beethoven and John T. <laughs> Um, Can we have some Beethoven? Go on, give us some Beethoven I'll give now. You Beethoven one. So we went to, back in 2018, we did a sort of Beethoven pilgrimage, which was for John T's 18th birthday. And we went to Bonn, where Beethoven was born, mm -hmm. and used to be, of course, the capital of Germany. West, West Germany. Germany. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then we went to Vienna after that, which is probably more commonly associated with Beethoven. But Bonn is very proud of Beethoven and has obviously the house where he grew up and this poem is about that house. Beethoven House, Bonn. His home is as his mother might have kept it, tidied up, waiting. House of a thousand notes and sorrows, he's already left. He'll not be back from Vienna this time and she's long dead. We find it serious, oil portraits, creaking boards, shuttered windows, facsimile scores behind glass, instruments in cabinets, the hammer clavier locked up, 
Here's his viola, the worn fingerboard proof of his touch. Here the greetings cards exchanged with Eleonora, proof of his affection. Here his youthful silhouette, portraits of two brothers. We believe in him. But what of the siblings who died in childhood? His mother's grief. Where are his father's downed bottles, the awful depths? Where's rage? Where's joy, Ludwig, great master, small boy? Wow, because that, oh gosh, Liz, that uh, is, it takes me back um, to when I went to Vienna. Oh, right. And I stood in the room of one of his houses. He's lived in lots of houses. I think he got yeah. turned out quite a lot because he might have been a difficult tenant. Exactly. Um, but one of the houses in Heiligenstadt, which is the famous Heiligenstadt uh, um, letter, where you know a man yeah. at the very, very brink of madness, essentially. Yeah. Um, but what you've just written there is exactly how my friend and I felt it was it was almost sanitized in a way yeah you you got glimpses of that boiling well, what, pot of creativity but yeah. they were glimpses and shut away in cases yes and the thing about his childhood home there wasn't a single toy in it and i know that sounds strange <laughs> but i i thought what struck me when and i've got a poem about the Heiligenstadt Testament that you might enjoy but um, it struck me that you know we associate with him with Ode to Joy and so mm, on but mm. from a psychological point of view um, and also with obviously frustration with deafness and so on but the it's, his, he had a, a, a very difficult childhood mm. and the Bond Museum is very sanitised and tidied up as it has to be, and it's very beautiful. But I kind of wanted to see the... The grittiness. The grittiness, the broken toy in the mm, core, the, mm. the, the lack of toy or the... Yeah, there was... Because I think his creativity comes from that place, mm, mm, not mm. from the nicely polished oak floors or, or, or whatever so no, i think that i think that's right I, I i kind of wanted to see a piano with all the strings broken and yes. and the keyboard bashed because that's yeah. the reality of it he, yeah he couldn't yeah. hear what he, he broke them yeah yeah and what is interesting um i'm going off at a tangent now but there's a there's a fantastic book about pianos, The Piano Shop on the Left Bank. I don't know if you've read I it. I don't know that, no. Uh, well, I recommend, because that does talk about the way Beethoven, the piano evolved, um, and part of the reason it evolved was because Beethoven broke all the wooden framed ones, so the <laughs> iron frame had to be invented to tolerate his music. Uh, we That's could... a, I'm sure a musicologist would run a road, you know, drive a coaching horses through that argument but that's my potted version of it i i i do you know we could do a whole episode just on beethoven i mean or, yeah. or a series i mean the the mm. and it's such a shame his um 250th year was interrupted by us having a global pandemic because uh uh 
just uh, endlessly fascinating. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, this Liz. Book, by the sorry. way, Paul. Sorry? I have to tell you that this book is endorsed by John Suchet. Oh, look at you. I know. Oh, wow. And, who, and he wrote the book on Beethoven. I don't know if you've read it. Um, yes, yes, sir. Um, yeah. Not because he's done a, one or two um, extended versions, I think, since I read it. But uh, yes, I, he's, um, he, he, he knows his stuff about Beethoven. Oh, let's say that. He was so kind. And I know I'm name dropping. But uh, my publisher, I just he, she said, who would you like ideally on the back of your book? And I said, well, I don't suppose you could get John Suchet <laughs> thinking it was a no-hoper. You know, pretty much two days yeah. later, it was a done deal. He, what a nice guy. Wow, that's amazing. Very, very um, special. So, so Liz, uh, I think um, it brings me to asking you an, an equally difficult question or an easy question about... Um, uh, who who has influenced you or at least poets that you've um you've loved um or love um mm. uh, and obviously you, you know time time slips away from us but um what 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 your what your initial thoughts who who comes immediately to 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 your thoughts when i say who who are your big names the ones that matter so the ones that matter, yeah. Um, well, I have to talk about T.S. Eliot again. Um, you should, certainly should talk about T.S. Eliot. Because he kind of, there were poets before him. There was Keats and there was Jared Manny Hopkins and so on. But when I met T.S. Eliot, which was for A-level, mm. and with a wonderful English teacher, I just, it was as if, I'd met not someone who understood me because he was still uh, too, you know, remote in some way, but someone who wrote about the world in the way I experienced it myself. Mm -hmm. So I'm growing up in London, I'm a slightly depressed teenager, and there he is writing The Wasteland. And I've got this teacher explaining it to me on a Tuesday afternoon, you know, <laughs> And I just thought, wow, this is, yeah, because my life was not a host of golden daffodils. It was rock and heat and crowds over Westminster Bridge. And and I thought, you can write about this. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, massively dramatic. It has its own drama. But he writes about someone drying their tights, essentially, on a radiator or opening a tin and eating out of the tin for and I thought it's not glamorized it's not put out of reach it's shown to us and um so T.S. Eliot despite people have reservations about him and you know we always rewriting history and but he he remains for me a massive influence and a place I would return to later the four quartets I hmm. Uh, um, came to I'm not going to say fully understand but enjoy and and see resonance in but then beyond that the other person you know thinking of contemporary poets the other person on the back of my book is Andrew Macmillan 
who I think, like T.S. Eliot, is courageous and writes about life as he experiences it authentically, honestly, with insight, wisdom, mm. reference to all the literature that precedes him and so mm. on. Um, and then beyond that, I'm going to say I quite often use anthologies as a way of... So there's a series of anthologies published by Blood Axe, Being Human, Staying Human, Being Alive, yeah. Staying Alive human all that sort of, those sort of titles yeah they cost a reasonable amount so 12 quid or what's the latest one cost me 12.99 yeah bargain they're not they're packed with people yeah. who i love so louis mcneese um oh, yes. adrienne rich um audrey lord completely different types of poets and the hopkinses the keats um contemporary poets I've never heard of, people translated from, from the Hungarian, um, people who might have written one good poem ever and it ends up in an anthology. But often, you know, you read a poet's collection and only three of the poems really speak to you. So yeah. anthology is a good way to go to find the ones that name. And of course, Gillian Clark, Caroline Duffy, M. Chester, those tower... Um, uh, Jackie Kay, the kind of towering women of who've mm. influenced me because they were just, I mean, it feels almost like we're talking about a past era now, mm. but when they were all in their roles as Poet Laureate Macker and Poet of National Poet of Wales, they are role models, yeah. strong women. And the night of the Brexit vote result, not wanting to get political, <laughs> but the day after the result was announced, I was reading with this group of incredibly powerful women poets in Bridge North in Shropshire. And it was one of the most extraordinary nights of my life because they, they, were, they were devastated by the result. Mm. I mean, that's not a, it's not a secret. But they were able to respond to that in poetry. Mm -hmm. And they mm -hmm. all have such incredibly strong voices. So, yeah, those those people. I guess we should mention our mutual friend, um, Philip Gross, who... Of course. Um, uh, ...is... Uh, yeah, he, he is a mutual friend, isn't he? And, a and, mutual and, friend, and actually, he, I, in the pandemic, I would say I've turned to his work more than any other poet. Interesting. Yeah. And... One of the collections I absolutely love is Love Songs of Carbon. <laughs> right. I think it's a phenomenal book. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it's of its humanity and the fact that we... I know it sounds ridiculous, but he addresses our physical... And the fact that we're made of carbon. Basically. Yeah, which is... Um, yeah, the basics. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's... I think he manages to do that thing of um, sustaining. He sustained his work over decades now. Yes. He's yeah. not a flash in the pan, is he? No, no. He's uh, I, and I think people will be talking about him and his work for many, many years to come. And as you say, I there's some poets who maybe have one poem and you think oh that's fantastic yeah. and it never happens yeah. again um his body of work stands um to, yeah. to, I, I, just going back to brexit you know so it's triggered the 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 the, <laughs> the the day before the day of the vote 
um absolutely it was an absolutely beautiful summer evening i don't know if you remember mm. maybe this is just mm. my poetic memory no it was with, nice weather yeah. <laughs> and um uh, a group of us um who all have the same singing tutor gathered in uh, rithin and north wales and uh we were just singing pieces that we were working on and mm. i just distinctly remember um one of my my friends singing silent noon which is a poem by uh, Dante Gabrielli Rossetti by mm. set by Rafe Vaughan Williams, mm. whose anniversary year is this year, 150th year oh, of his birth. I, I should have known. Um, mm. And um, gosh, that's making me quite goose feel go mm. quite goosey now because it almost felt like it was a passing of a golden era. And that's not a political comment. Mm. It just felt like the end of something and moving on to something else. Mm. Um, just a little glimpse of that, uh, just maybe a turn of a millennium or, you know, yeah. just before a war begins, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. I'm, maybe I'm just fantasizing, but that was, uh, no, just triggered well, me that. I think that combination of human voices, those words, yeah, and the beautiful weather, it's yes. those, those moments are precious aren't they and they, they do transcend the turmoil the the drudgery the other yeah. aspects of existence and i think it's absolutely right to mark them and hold on to them in memory mm. um, but so, i don't know that song so that's what i'm going to be doing after i've finished you need to go and listen to that i, I i'm I, and actually strangely it was only yesterday that I, I sang it all the way through for the first time, having, uh, um, you know, Ray Fawn Williams and Thomas Hardy are two of the people that stick in, who, who uh, followed me around in my life. Mm. Um, but uh, the, the Silent Noon is one probably one of his greatest songs. And the way he has set that pre-Raphaelite poet is mm. almost like showing all those wonderful colours that you get in a pre-Raphaelite painting. Mm. Um, and of course, it, 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 it essentially is a poem that tries to get over what it is like when there are two people who are just so bonded they don't need to say anything. So it's almost mm. a poem and a piece of music that mm. represent silence mm. in that perfect moment. Oh, I can't wait to listen to that. Well, yeah, that's... That's something else that I've had that experience of John T, the subject of some of the poems, actually setting one of my poems to music. And that's a very interesting experience yeah. and possibly. Um, but that there's a lot of synchronicity in the things we've talked about. Yes. So the, the silence, but also the, the uh, collaborative nature of yes. those songs with the musician and the poet the work coming together and making more than the sum of its parts, I suspect. Absolutely. So, look, um, I think we need to round this off, Liz. So okay. uh, let me let me just ask you to, um, as we're going to say, play us out. But uh, you choose a poem that you think would be okay. a nice way to so, end. So I'll read Coda, which is uh, just a poem about music. So it's eight lines. It won't take long. It's perfect. A coda is perfect. Okay. okay. So this is the final poem in the 
short collection and it's the best I could do in terms of expressing how I feel about music and its place in my life. And it's called Coda. This is the peculiar alchemy to be caught up in someone else's song, be drawn over strings or hammered out, plucked as a guitar or blown across a flute. It's a hollowed space, a refuge, a place of hope which shows us all our losses. It's where I go when I exhaust the words for love and sorrow. It's music. Oh, wow. Thank you, Liz. Oh, thank you so much for giving us uh, the time today. And uh, um, yeah, that's lovely. That's been musical as well as poetic. I, and yeah. I have a perfect combination. And it's lovely to speak to someone who gets it, Paul. So. Yeah, well, hopefully you're speaking to lots of people out there. You will go global with this podcast. Um, <laughs> so thank uh, you to everyone for listening. Yeah, and you will um, sell shed loads now of uh, Great Master Small Boy uh, and all or anything else that's available to, to, to sell, even if it's just because John Suchet says it's OK. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much for the opportunity. Thank you, Liz. So I hope you enjoyed that uh, interview with Liz. Wasn't that fabulous? Um, and uh, there'll be lots more about uh, music and poetry. Uh, I'm matching some of the things we talked about with tracks uh, on our Spotify playlist. Um, but there's one thing that I forgot to do when interviewing Liz, and she talked in some detail about constructing this poem, uh, and I feel it needs to be read. So here it is. In the queue in the Waitrose Cafe, I meet my love. The man next to me in the queue is gorgeous. It starts with him telling me I've dropped my pen and I pick it up, though it's not mine. I'm almost sure he knew that anyway, so we talk about pens and dropping things. And I ask for a cappuccino. Oh, and we're on to poetry. While the milk is frothed, he says, for him, it's about what sounds like daffodils. I tell him about my rhyming dictionary. He says, so you're a clever girl then? I smile, say, no, then yes to chocolate. We laugh as I hand over a five pound note. If I were 50 years younger, I'd fall in love with you. He says this as I hold out my hand for change, all this in minutes, and I already love him. He's 85, but I won't believe it. He looks at me from the corner of his eye, gives a nod of knowing, asks for two cups of tea, hooks his stick over his arm to pay. I say, lovely to meet you, walk to a table, past a woman who is smaller than him, creased into a chair and wearing pink socks. I look up at them from time to time. I see their silence. It's been a long time. It's just been a long, long time. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So um, if you've dived into this podcast and just heard that, you need to go back and listen to Liz talking about how that poem came about. And it is a real life situation.
So that was so. Oh, that was, it's, that it's was made good. me go goosey reading it. I'm so because it that uh, that last bit there. Oh yeah, that oh yeah. I see their silence. That's yeah. It's the long oh yeah. It's um because at first I was like, oh it's just like a, a meat a meat cute sort of thing and I thought that was yeah. still nice but oh it's yeah <sighs> even the little detail for the pink socks she's she's amazing that's really she, she's she, she she's absolute genius um and mm -hmm. uh uh i will uh put up all details about liz and her books and go and buy them all of them um they're not big um but uh they're well worth it so now you and i holly are going to dive into what did i call it before poetry speed dating i'm not oh. quite sure whether i mean it but we you know we're, we're going to make this um not too uh we're not going to linger too long over all these poems all the the, the, the poets we're going to talk about mm. but before we start i just wanted to get from you um, have you always loved poetry or has school really tried very hard to put you off? Um, I hadn't, I hadn't really ever liked, like not that, not that I felt any way strongly about it. It's just, I didn't really, I didn't really have the chance to read it. Cause I was more into just like, I don't know. I, I read a lot of like young adult fiction when I was younger, which is like good, good yeah. books. But I, I was mainly just reading like plot and excitement, but it was, um, I, I included like a, um, a poem by, by Wolf was it wolf no was it dickinson oh that's bad that i don't know that i included a poem in my personal statement and i got asked about it in an interview and i talked a bit about it and then they were saying can you relate it to any of the poems and i thought oh i kind of i kind of can't like i realized i hadn't looked at it in depth and then after that it was wild nights um why is it i think it's dickinson my mind has gone blank i'm yeah, sorry right. um <laughs> it is it is dickinson yeah um but then after that it made me think oh you know what i should read more poetry and i looked at robert frost and i compared oh, yes um, oh, what's it? Is it about a crow? It's about like winter, and then this this bird, a blackbird or a crow, lands on a branch, yeah. um, and it's oh, it's it's that end. I can't remember what he puts in the end, but there's something like about the day he rude, and it changes the tone of it, and it reminded. And I started seeing these links between it, and especially doing like it's only really the last two months that I've started reading a lot of poetry, and I can't believe it's taken me this long to really read it frequently, but um, yeah. I kind of it's a very recent thing that I've um I've been loving it but it's it's been nice to come to it naturally rather than um because for me studying like done in school or studying like yeah. Owen Shears and that like last year um yeah. like Shears and Heaney are amazing like I love doing them Absolutely. but yeah. um I I always like read poetry throughout um just that that point of view like looking at it in an in an analysis way um so it feels like separate so I'm, I'm quite excited to now in this poetry phase reread yeah. like field work and things like that in um yeah. in a new light but yeah so yeah what, oh, what about so, you? To, to, to the, really this this episode's kind of pushed you into reading it a bit more yeah yeah it's been a, it's been amazing um, yeah. the thing the thing um and i'll touch on this when i um, i talked to liz about um I think I, I not sure I totally understood what poetry was or thought it was for someone else. Apart from when I was younger, I used to like limericks and sort of humorous mm -hmm. poems and, and, um, and, you know, we have nursery rhymes, don't we? You know, and all that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Um, so I can't say I've, I've ever hated poetry. I'm not sure I entirely understood 
what it was for and whether it was ever something that I would ever bother to turn up to to, to write about. And 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 they would they really did try in secondary school. We had a couple of really inspirational English teachers who tried and introduced poems that um, uh, were yeah. I I was entertained, so I was intrigued. But it was only when I went to do A level English literature that um, I started to go, oh hang on, hang on. There's something here. There's something here. And I, I would be I would be lying to say that since I was a teenager, I've read poetry every day of my life and bought loads of poetry collections. Although I could point to my shelves up that way uh, there's a couple of they look very nice shelves there's a couple of shelves a couple of shelves that are just full of poetry and it's the sort of thing i dip into you have to be in the right mood and liz and i talk about um letting it wash over you i think with poetry mm. particularly it's true of prose to some extent but just letting it wash over you and not worrying about what it means and in that sense is a bit like music you know you hear that song mm. for the first time you think Okay, I wasn't sure about that, but you just—it mm. doesn't really matter, does it? You know. Um, and uh, as you've been tackling James Joyce and T.S. Eliot, I think that's probably the rule of thumb, isn't it? So, uh, Jenna, do you want to go first? Go on. Who's your first choice? Um. Oh. Uh, well, I guess I should. I guess I should start with um, James Joyce. Go on then. Yeah, him. yeah. I'm intrigued. Yeah. When I saw that pop up on your Goodreads, I thought she's taking this seriously. <laughs> Yeah, um, this is another um, another thank you to to Joe. Um, just I know you don't know who, who that is. No, no, Joe yeah. sounds um, fantastic. Thank you, Joe, for this. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm, <laughs> uh, I got introduced to James Joyce um, by through him, and I'm I really like I really like him because um, like that um, I haven't read Ulysses or anything like that. I recently bought Finnegan's Wake. Is that the title oh, of it? Oh, good. But good I, luck with that one. Hmm. I tell you. I, I read the opening part and I was like, you know what? It was like, it was in the morning. I was like, you know what? I'll yeah. do a little reading before school. And I was like, I'm not doing this now. No. I'm going to address this another time. But um, yeah, um, I it was, um, yeah, Chamber Music was the the collection that I read. Um, and some of them I wasn't, not, 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 hang on. I wasn't not a fan of some of them, but I they didn't strike anything to me. But then certain ones just really stood out, like um, 31, that starts with it was out by Donny Donny Carney I think that's how you pronounce it um it just seemed very um it was just really like sweet and especially because mm. I, I I just assumed you like James Joyce was someone who wouldn't write I don't know in my head maybe it's just because his name sounds quite like James Joyce I assumed he would write quite harshly I'm not even joking that's Jen yeah. yeah um but but it was um that that poetry I really recommend chamber music it's, it's very nice yeah yeah are you are you going to be tempted into reading it oh it was out by donny carney when the bat flew from tree to tree my love and i did walk together and sweet were the words she said to me along with us the summer wind went murmuring oh happily but softer than the breath of summer was the kiss she gave to me and um, i really like that one. Oh, that's um, lovely do you know what yeah yeah it's I, not I yeah that almost is like you know like some of those lovely irish songs lyrical irish songs of the early 20th century um or almost like an irish folk song it's it's, yeah. it's beautiful isn't it yeah yeah he um he definitely which makes sense with the the chamber music title but yeah it's um brilliant oh i i love that one well look, i'm gonna chuck my next one in right i told you this is gonna be quick fire so um this is uh john dunn um john dunn who uh 
Ooh, I, I have his biography here. Um, 1572 to 1631. Um, and I think I was describing before we came on air his life, but I maybe not describe it as I did to Holly because we might have to put um, explicit on this and that would put off some of our listeners. But basically he lived the life of Riley for most of his youth and then became Dean of St. Paul's in London and was very, very religious. Um, and I came across, this is, this is the light bulb moment for me with, with poetry because we did in fact i have the book in my hand not the ebook i had for when we did a levels but it was the book mm. uh, metaphysical poets uh, which is introduced by uh, and edited by helen gardner and um well I, I you know i could choose pretty much all of them um but john dunn is the one that kind of spoke to me and we had an inspirational teacher who gently unpicked it and helped us understand uh but not in a way that it ruined it if you know what mm. i mean so i could have chosen so many the flea is one uh, is so uh, is an amazing poem oh i love that one yeah. though. Um, it always makes me laugh it's brilliant uh but this one is a little bit more raunchy but, but it depends how you read it i will read it as it is uh and it's called sun rising busy old fool unruly sun why dost thou thus through windows and through curtains call on us. Must to thy motions lover's seasons run? Saucy, pedantic wretch, go chide late schoolboys and sour apprentices. Go tell court huntsmen that the king will ride. Call country ants to harvest offices. Love, all alike, no season knows, nor clime, nor hours, days, months, which are the rages of time. Thy beams so reverend and strong, why shouldst thou think I could eclipse and cloud them with a wink? That I would not lose her sight so long, if her eyes have not blinded thine. Look, and tomorrow late tell me. Whether both the Indias of spice and mine be where thou leftest them, or lie here with me. Ask for those kings whom thou sawest yesterday, and thou shalt hear, all here in one bed lay. She is all states and all princes, I, nothing else is. Princes do but play us compared to this, all honours mimic, all wealth alchemy. Thou, son, art half as happy as we, in that the world's contracted thus. Thine age asks ease, and since thy duties be to warm the world, that's done in warming us. Shine here to us, and thou art everywhere. This bed thy centre is, these walls thy sphere. I'm going to say better than Shakespeare. Yeah, I do. Guys. Yeah, yeah, good. I'm glad you agree. Ooh. I love um that that poem was that's one of my favourite done poems. Um, especially that whole last section, like the last four yeah. or five lines. Oh, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I, I and you know, I'm not going to unpack it here, but it's just there's so much mm. in it that yeah. But you can tell he had a good old time as a as a young man, can't you? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so come on then, Holly. Uh, what's your next next Ooh. poet? Okay, my next poet is T. S. Eliot. 
who Yay. I am. I love T.S. Eliot. Um, I was just saying to you before this started that from my library, I picked up a copy of the Wasteland, Wasteland Facsimile, that's how you say it. Um, and it contained, um, so I read the normal poem first and I, I was able to see like the notes he'd made and how, um, oh, who was it that, I can't remember what the name is of the person who commented on it or like was editing it. Um, Ezra Pound. Pound. Ezra Pound, um, yeah. Yeah, and I think one, on one verse of something, um, it was almost like this idea is not good enough to constitute so much of it <laughs> or something along those lines. And it yeah. was hilarious, but um, I love, I love T.S. Eliot. Um, yeah, one, The Wasteland is probably, probably the love song of J. Alfred Proof. I can't read my, yeah. I can't yeah, read yeah. my writing. I've made yeah, notes no, here. But, um, yeah, um, I love The Wasteland, cause especially um, doing in A-level, um, we do so much of the poetry revolved around nature. And I found that this more like urban focus, I much preferred, um, mm. especially um, on the fire sermon. There's one line um, where it's like, uh, oh, the moon shone bright on Mrs. Porter and on her daughter. They wash their feet in soda water. Um, and then can I read out another little, like it's not on, just yeah. a little section. Um, I just, oh, I love it. I love it. Um, she turns and looks a moment in the glass, hardly aware of her departed lover. Her brain allows one half-formed thought to pass. Well, now that's done, and I'm glad it's over. When lovely woman stoops, stoops to folly and paces about her room again, alone, she smooths her hair with automatic hand and puts the record on the gramophone. I just, I love how he oh. captures things. It's, he's so good. Um, but yeah, I found um, reading him, it made me um, rethink what poetry is. Yeah. Um, probably just because my own like limited, like I say, with A-level, I had a very how you associate it with feeling like unconsciously and reading T.S. Eliot made me feel something so different to what yeah. I'd felt before um and it kind of we've done just done this today so I'm just I'm not going to read it I'm just going to analyze it not not going to analyze it name drop it um <laughs> this poetry by Benjamin Zephaniah we, we've started an unseen yeah. poetry today um and I love that especially because we were comparing it that poem to Shakespeare. Now, if you've read the the, the poem, you'll know he, he mentions Shakespeare. It's like respect to you, respect to Shakespeare. But um, this is the, this is the stuff I like. Yeah. Um, and I I loved that. Um, I loved how he, he wrote, and I'm I'm very into that sort of poetry where yeah. it's like pushing what you think it can be and like claiming the space. It's, yeah, ah, it's brilliant. So quick fire, quick fire. Here goes. Um, also from my A-level experience, not everything springs from my A-levels, but we did the Songs of Innocence and Experience by um, William Blake. Um, I Ooh, have nice. also got um, a facsimile thing. Look at that. Look at that. Oh, that's cool. The pictures. Um, sorry, <laughs> listeners, you can't see that. But, the, but the, the thing about Blake was he was radical, revolutionary, um, way before his time, ironically ended up now. And if you ask people, oh, who was William Blake? Oh, he's a bloke who wrote Jerusalem. And which everyone, you know, WIs sing it every time they meet. And uh, it's become that most patriotic of all patriotic songs. And I think he would turn in his grave, actually, because ironically, he was making a big statement about actually all this industrialization and stuff. It's not been so great for us as human beings, has it? And he was what, late 18th century, he, he, he kind of before his time. So I'm just going to read the Songs of Innocence and Experience 
beautifully produced. Uh, he drew uh, the and painted the pictures um, as part of the poems. So art and poetry going together. Uh, I urge you to go and look at it. I'm sure there's facsimiles online. I'm just going to read one of them called um, Not the Tiger, which everybody knows. Tiger, Tiger, Burning Bright. This is the clod and the pebble. Love seeketh not itself to please, nor for itself hath any care, but for another gives its ease, and builds a heaven in hell's despair. So sung a little clod of clay, trodden with the cattle's feet, but a pebble of the brook warbled out these metres meet. Love seeketh only self to please, to bind another to its delight, joys in another's loss of ease and builds a hell in heaven's despite. Ooh. Ooh, eh? So, <laughs> yin and yang, yin and yang. Mm. One is giving it, oh, love, lovely and light, but, and then the other one. I love it, love it. They're, <laughs> they're brilliant poems. Go on then, quick, quick fire. Next. Okay. How many of these rounds have you got left, by the way? Because I'm trying to choose which one I prefer. Uh, I think I would like to include two more poets for myself. Okay. So you can have two I might, um, Okay, um, no, so I'm not. I don't, yeah, go on. Okay. I'm not going to have a chance to, to mention. I just want to quickly drop in. I, I read Coleridge, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Oh, um, yes. That was my first Coleridge. Shout out to my English Literature Friday Club. Um, it's brilliant. Um, and I, what was the theory that the fact that um, it's like almost addicted, like the mariner is like addicted to retelling the story. And when you look at um, Coleridge, had had an addiction himself. Yeah, I thought it was quite. It's quite interesting how you can read it in different ways like the most common ways reading it is the albatross is it albatross is a christ albatross, figure yes, yes, but um yes. yeah I, I prefer reading it through like the lens of addiction um mm. i really it's really interesting but um i wanted to talk about kate tempest um brand new ancients um because i haven't read the whole the whole it's quite a long poetry piece um, i haven't read the whole thing yet but um i was first i listened to her rather than read her first and that she was my you can tell i'm quite new to this because i'm like this was my first time doing this um my first time listening to like spoken poetry like properly um and it was it was all the way last year because i was i wanted to include more poetry in my personal statement i didn't end up including her but it was brilliant um the way she spoke um it was um yeah there's i'll just i'll read a little bit of it just because it's it's brilliant um yes yeah, so, and you can't see the front cover but it's almost done like a greek vase figure yeah. but um it's just it's brilliant um so the gods are all here because the gods are in us the gods are in the betting shops the gods are in the calf the gods are smoking fags out back the gods are in the office office blocks the gods are at their desks the gods are sick of always giving more and getting less um the gods are at the rave two bills deep into dancing the gods are in the alleyway laughing um and it's i can't say the the next line down but it's brilliant um yeah uh, well a few lines down but it's just it goes on like that for a bit there's other like really nice like little bits like i said i haven't read it all yet but it's just so like refreshing and it's brilliant um so i really recommend Temp or i recommend listening to tempest because even though yeah. i'm enjoying reading her she is so fun to listen to yeah um she's brilliant she really oh she's got so a great don't, voice don't you think that's the thing about poetry i mean i know you and i are reading bits out now but um actually hearing the poets speak their their, their poetry is it's 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 the best isn't it and it I think gives most... it so much more power yeah, yeah but it's yeah. yeah okay so um oh I, I don't know where to go next i'm gonna save 
what I think is probably my favoriteest favorite to last all right um okay so my next one is a recent one and here's a really unusual thing the costa book award of which is the book of books of the year um for for the costa prize because there's a poetry prize non-fiction you know fiction young you know there's a whole range mm -hmm. of things but in 2021 the kids by hannah lowe has won the costa book of the year so the book of wow. books and um before it did that I happened to pick it up in Wrexham Library thinking that looks interesting and oh my word it is um, a brilliant collection all the poems in it are sonnets 14 lines um, I, I can't remember what the meter is but you know there, there's a set pattern and you think oh it sounds a bit like an academic exercise doesn't it and um, it is about her experience of teaching uh, sixth form students. <laughs> <laughs> you'll like this, Holly. I know you'll like this. Um, but she then matches that with her experience of being um, a teenager and, and sort of youthful activist. Um, that, 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 that's all I will say. Go and find it, The Kids by Hannah Lowe. It, it, I, what I love about it is I wanted to buy the book when she won the prize because it's poetry and no one expected it to do anything. You know, poetry doesn't sell massively. Um, they didn't have enough copies printed and they had to wow. print loads more. So um, I'm just going to read one. Um, and it's called The Sixth Form Theatre Trip. I thought you would particularly like this. <laughs> Um, and there's a little quote at the beginning uh, that is by Anonymous. This is more like bloody dog walking than teaching. <laughs> I don't know who Anonymous was, but there we are. You've got more dogs than you can count, big dogs and small. One badass dog in headphones mooching up the aisle. A dog who's smuggled in a hot dog. Two loving dogs back row, already smooching. Some dogs are up on haunches barking. A dog or two already dozing, heads in paws, dogs sighing and dreaming. The other theatre dogs look down their snouts, a pair of tutting chow-chows. <laughs> Some slony poodles in the box. But when the curtains lift and your dogs are hypnotised, their ears like little hoisted sails, the wag of tails, their shining dog hearts fling wide open. They know these words, these lines, memorised like buried bones. Don't you love your dogs? Oh. I just, I, I, it's genius. She's mm. genius. I'll say no more. That's lovely. Have you um, been on a theatre trip like that, Holly? I have. Um, no, I, I wish. Um, the only theatre thing I can remember going to recently, it was... Um, it was some reenactments that they do with Nazi Germany. Yeah. Um, and oh, that's so it was, wasn't as fun as that by any means. Oh, um, dear. Well, you need to go to a, you need to you need to go on a theatre trip to to Stratford to see a Shakespeare play like we did when I was in. I have um, I have been to the theatre, though, but just not with not with school. But I, I wish um, I'll see if I can convince my English department to take us to Stratford because that would be. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I. Uh, yeah, my secondary school took us to Stratford on a coach. Oh, wow. It was very like that. Except <laughs> That wasn't sixth form. Anyway, enough of that. <laughs> I might reveal too much. So come on, your last choice. Oh, okay. Make it a um, good one. Okay, my, my last choice is Wendy Cope. But before 
I know this isn't very quick fire for me. Um, I just wanted to to drop in because I can't. I'm not going to read it because it's too long. But um, Lady Lazarus by Sylvia Plath um, Ooh, yes. was was a stand up one, especially because there's little bits like um, peel off the napkin. Oh my enemy, do I terrify? Um, and then the um, the final line um, of out of the ash I rise with my red hair and I eat men like air. I just thought that was really that was really cool. <laughs> I can see why um, you like that one. <laughs> yeah, just the I was like, oh, she's she's ginger, or maybe yeah. she's not. I don't know. Sylvia Plath. I don't know if she but, was. I don't know if she was. Uh, in my mind, she is now. I've decided that she's okay. ginger. Um, but yeah, this um the Wendy Cope um, poem that I, I'm not very far into her collection, so I'm probably gonna love. Um, which is probably good because I wouldn't sharp if I found more I liked. But um, it's, I think it's quite a popular one called The Orange. Um, at lunchtime, I bought a huge orange. The size of it made us all laugh. I peeled it and shared it with Robert and Dave. They got quarters and I had a half. And that orange, it made me so happy, as ordinary things often do. Just lately, the shopping, a walk in the park. This peace and contentment, it's new. The rest of the day was quite easy. I did all the jobs on my list and enjoyed them and had some time over. I love you. I'm glad I exist. <laughs> now, Wendy Cope is one of those great poets who brings humour into serious things. And I think mm. I mentioned to you before I came on, Roger McGough, um, seen him several times um, with his compatriot, um, Brian Patton uh, mm. and uh, Adrian Henry. They were the three Merseyside poets who I absolutely loved. I still absolutely love. Um, but when I was in Liverpool as a student um, back in the 70s, you know, they used to be you'd go into a pub and they'd be sitting in a corner. You know, poetry, yeah. just, poetry was at its coolest at that point. Um, anyway, oh, cool. look, I'm going to finish this with uh, one of my all time favourite poets. And uh, she is, she died last year. Um, American poet called Mary Oliver. And she it, she just gets to the heart of everything. Um, she is deeply, deeply rooted in nature, uh, which I love. Uh, and I don't know, I can't say anymore. Um, her fam the famous poem that I've read before on air uh, when we did the radio show uh, is uh, Wild Geese, um, which is probably her most famous poem. And I'm sorry to go out on a slightly down note, but this is about death, all right? Seems appropriate to finish a show with a poem about death, doesn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it's called When Death Comes. When death comes, like the hungry bear in autumn, when death comes and takes all the bright coins from his purse to buy me and snaps the purse shut, when death comes like the measle pox, when death comes like an iceberg between the shoulder blades, I want to step through the door full of curiosity, wondering what's it going to be like, that cottage of darkness? And therefore, I look upon everything as a brotherhood and a sisterhood, and I look upon time as no more than an idea, and I consider eternity as another possibility. And I think of each life as a flower, as common as a field daisy, and as singular, and each name a comfortable music in the mouth, tending, as all music does, towards silence. And each body a lion of courage, and something precious to the earth. When it's over, I want to say, 
All my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was a bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made what I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. There you go. That's death. <laughs> I, I like I, that. I love it because um, I'm, I'm probably slightly nearer the end than uh, um, I used to be. Um, but seeing death as almost like an adventure, you know, the next thing. I mean, yeah, it helps. Yeah. I read that poem from time to time and it just makes me think yeah and actually don't waste your time while you're here <laughs> well so you do this podcast yeah yeah absolutely absolutely holly it's made my work made my life worthwhile this is yeah that wasn't bad was it for a bit of poetic speed dating do you think no i think we did uh, i think you were a lot speedier than me i, I think I, I lingered too long but it felt um it felt very like rhythmic. It was really, yeah, that yeah, was really fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I enjoyed that. And as I say, we're going to be coming back together um, when I've done the interview with Peter Reed. I'm going to give Lara her uh, moment in the sun, do you think? Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really very excited sun, to see why that dust thou dust, you know? And, <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, we'll. Um, well, we might join her and you can anyone that you haven't mentioned today, you could throw them in as well. So that will be in okay. about a month's time. And uh, really, we've come to the end today. What a wonderful, yeah. rich, mixed bag this has been. Uh, poetry yeah. in motion, it certainly has. And um, I've loved every minute of it. And I hope everyone uh, uh, listening at this very moment uh, has enjoyed it. And there's more to come. Yeah, we're going to get lots more out of poetry. Thank you, Holly. I've loved your contributions, and you know, um, we uh, perfect perfect complement of poems, I'd say. Yeah, we've done it. Yeah, thank you for um, for all of yours. I've I've been noting down. Um, so the, it's um it's it's been really nice to um, good idea to speak it out loud. Um, yeah. You're yeah. very good. I, I need to work on my my speaking pace, but yours was um yeah very good. So I, uh, uh, well, the only I'll, I'll say this before we finish. All right, about reading poems um, for me because I sing, and I've learnt from learning to sing particularly classical songs, which a lot of them are poems set to music. Let's face it. Um, mm. So the phrasing and the way you pace it, it's it's a rhythm. It's 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 exactly yeah. the same technique, and I'm still nowhere near an expert at it. But it is um, there is. There is something to it, yeah. You you find your pace. It's it, and it depends on the poem as well. And I'm anyway. Thank thank you so much, Holly. Um, and I thank should you. say thank you to Liz for uh, doing the interview. Uh, and uh, we will be uh, coming back to you with Peter Reed and more poetry in about a month's time. Now, I would normally say go to bookalicious.com and you can check out everything there. There may be a few technical issues in the next week or two, so don't worry if it's not there. We, we, we are working on it. It will come back. But you can definitely get this podcast through Spotify or wherever you like to listen to your podcast, where there will be all the show notes and all the bits of lovely stuff that we talked about. In fact, the show notes have got so long now, I'm thinking we might have to just publish a book of our 
show notes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so thanks, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed uh, uh, all of this and we'll be back very soon. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Bookalicious, available wherever you get podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends. We love to know you're listening, so please like us or leave a comment. Have a look at our website, bookalicious.com, and you can contact us on info at bookalicious.com. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I wish you all happy reading. Bye.